You're listening to Ari Snapshots, where each fortnight we chat about the science behind the weeds and decode some of the trickier concepts which crop up. Hi Leslie, it's lovely to talk to you again today. Today we're going to be looking at canola cultivars and the differences in their competitive nature. How are you and what have you been doing lately? Uh, I'm well, thank you, Cindy. I've been working trying to keep the crops growing in the middle of a drought right now to collect data for this year's field experimentation. And in our sites where we have irrigation, it's looking okay. Those without, not so great. Yeah, that's the thing across the country, isn't it, at the moment for a lot of people? Absolutely. Leslie, today I was wanting to ask you about the work you've been involved in with uh, canola and you've been revealing that it has some superpowers. Can you tell us a little bit about canola's superpowers? Yes, canola is a member of the Brassicacea family and together all of these plants, including cauliflower, broccoli, mustard, canola, are very interesting. The new cultivars of each of them possess, I guess I would call, superpowers in that they grow very vigorously early in the season. So if we're thinking about in terms of suppressing weeds and gaining good crop establishment, one of the traits that we're interested in is how rapidly these crops can establish from seed and then start to outcompete surrounding vegetation or weeds. And many of the cultivars that are on the market today are now hybrids. And so given that they're hybrids, which are crosses of tightly inbred lines, they exhibit hybrid vigor. And one of the vigorous traits they're exhibiting is the ability to establish early, develop a dense canopy which suppresses light at the soil surface, grow tall, but also strong and sturdy, so they don't lodge or topple, and then potentially at the same time, they're able to suppress weeds within the crop itself. And so today's canola cultivars, I think you'll see, are able to be planted earlier, established by dry seeding. When rainfall hits, they're ready to take off, and many of our growers are working to establish them earlier and earlier in the year. So this is really important from a weed suppressive standpoint. That's fantastic. Have you found that all of the available cultivars for growers are exhibiting the same powers and to the same degree? Well, not exactly. Okay, so another one of the powers that canola might possess is the ability to produce secondary products. Now, we all know when we're eating cauliflower or broccoli or we're breaking a leaf off the canola crop that we often smell sulfur-containing compounds. So it's quite interesting what canola does produce as well as many of these brassicacea. They're all known for the production of glucosinolates. These compounds have a variety of structures, and they essentially are breaking down by enzymatic activity to another set of compounds known as nitriles or isothiocyanates. These are the compounds, some of them, which are volatile and give the brassicacea their distinctive smell. But they also, the combination of the glucosinolates and their breakdown products, contribute to pest management. So many of these these compounds are known as biofumigants, 
That is, they have antimicrobial properties in the soil, so they protect the plant against pathogen attack, but many of them can also be weed suppressive. Now that we know that there are over 120 different glucosinolates produced by some brassicacea, we are finally getting to the bottom of what the biosynthetic pathways and the methods for transformation of these compounds are in the plant and in the soil. And so we do know that we these compounds have a large stable of potential allelochemicals. We just have to learn how to harness them. So the difference between certain cultivars are twofold. The hybrid cultivars tend to have early vigor and the ability to grow rapidly. The open pollinated cultivars are often a bit slower, although less expensive, but can produce a decent tonnage and yield with high qualities. But most growers now are considering the use of the hybrid cultivars. When we look at the older cultivars of canola that have been developed, many of these produce an interesting diversity of the allelochemicals. So one of the questions we have to ask are, what potential do the newer cultivars also have to suppress weeds by way of allelopathy? And in the experiments we've conducted, we found older cultivars which might be less vigorous, that is, they produce less biomass rapidly, they're still weed suppressive by other mechanisms. And then we're also seeing many of the newer cultivars exhibit suppression because of their in-crop vigor, but also potentially in their residues because of potentially their availability of allelochemicals. So it's an interesting mix of properties. Are you thinking that there's a lot of opportunity to bring all of that together in future plant breeding efforts? Well, it would have to have a targeted focus because while breeders are easily able to look at early vigor, biomass accumulation, time to flowering, and the ability to produce high-quality canola seed and oil, it's a bit harder to evaluate their biosynthetic pathways because these pathways are influenced not only by the environment, the biotic environment, also by temperature, rainfall, climate, etc. So there's a lot of factors that influence the production of allelochemicals. To select for a plant that is high in some of these products might also lead to certain off flavors in terms of oil production too because, you know, again, many of these compounds are toxic to livestock. They also could contribute to the flavor essentially and the quality of the oil. So one has to think very carefully about selecting for production of these compounds in the root and in the foliage but not potentially in the seed or the oil. So it's a bit of a challenge. I think it's one that's worthy of spending more time to evaluate. And in combination with hybrid cultivars, I think there is potential certainly to look at weed suppression. We obviously do see differences in cultivar ability to suppress weeds effectively 
over location and year. And so not that many people have looked at it extensively in Australia, but it's been the subject of numerous studies in Canada and the EU. It's fascinating, isn't it, Leslie? Are there opportunities for growers to make decisions surrounding the current cultivars that are available within their rotations? Yeah, I think it's quite important that growers look at cultivars that are highly adapted to their specific regions. So one thing to consider is that many of these hybrid cultivars that grow vigorously and develop a really dense canopy also require more soil moisture to be able to subsist and be very productive. So in a high rainfall zone, such as southern Victoria, it pays potentially to consider the higher cost of establishment of these cultivars and managing them effectively for weeds, which tend to be also more competitive under most high moisture conditions. In a dry land situation, where one might have much less rainfall available, then one has to be carefully considering what cultivars will be competitive under those conditions and what cultivars might be early maturing so that they get high oil seed production, potentially even when rainfall is limiting earlier in the season. So I think it's very important that growers look at adaptation to their specific region. Right now, the breeding companies are establishing new cultivars every three or four years, and many of these are now hybrid, and many of them also incorporate traits for herbicide tolerance or resistance as well. So those combination of useful traits really need to be evaluated on a site-by-site basis. One of the things we can do as researchers, Chris Preston and I have been working with canola and evaluating it under a series of high, medium, and low intensity production situations, is to have a look at our data and also for us to be able to continue along with some of this research to look at alternatives in the toolbox other than herbicides for management. So those things would include spacing, cultivar spacing, choice of cultivar, management strategy in terms of weed management, high or lower input, etc. Those are all things that we have control over and would be, again, location-specific choices based on the cost and the ability to produce an effective yield in a cost-effective manner. The effects that you've seen even in the stubble across the summer fallow, is that something worthy of growers' consideration that they could get some longer-term benefits from growing certain cultivars? Well, this was a bit surprising to us, and we started as a result of seeing weed suppression that was significant in our summer fallows. We started waiting for these characteristics in our canola trials and our longer-term rotational trials. And interestingly enough, there are some pretty remarkable cultivar differences, not based on the necessarily the amount of biomass, but other factors contributing to weed suppression. So we ruled out differences in soil moisture availability. So what this would suggest is that some cultivars differ in terms of their residues and their ability to decompose over time. That rate of decomposition freeing up these secondary products might contribute to the suppression of weeds in the soil. 
uh, in terms of the seed bank and the seed bank numbers. So we see differences in seed bank numbers based on these rotational differences over time, but also in terms of general establishment of summer fallow weeds, things like the hairy panics, the panicum species in general, fleabane, etc., that would come in over the summer months in this region. And so cultivar differences can be quite specific. We also see some selectivity. So certain cultivars seem to be much more effective at suppressing these summer annual grasses rather than broadleaf species. Now, getting to the bottom of that, I don't think we can say for sure what's going on. But one of the things we'd like to do is evaluate the transformation of these residues in terms of their decomposition rates in the soil and look for the breakdown products in the soil that might contribute to weed suppression or as well as pathogen suppression too. The other thing that will be quite important to measure is the ability to use water and so are some cultivars potentially leaving us with less moisture availability in the soil, thereby suppressing weeds? And another factor to potentially look at would be the ability to suppress weeds in crop. So if they're suppressed in crop at the time of harvest, then they don't gain a foothold at that point. And so then if it becomes drier, you end up with less fallow weeds as a result of that because of the in-crop canopy. So there's a variety of factors going on. It's a bit complicated, but it, again, if one takes the systems approach to evaluating these plant interactions, I think we can start to explain some of these and be able to translate that into cultivars that are useful at site, in site-specific ways. It's just, it really is fascinating area of work, Leslie, and thank you so much for taking the time to explain a little bit about it, of the, the opportunities and, and also the challenges that are in front of you as researchers. Thank you again for your assistance with, with RE Insight today. It's been wonderful. Thank you, Cindy. It was great to talk to you, and um, I hope you have a good season over in your neck of the woods. <laughs> <laughs> thank you.